Welcome to the Whole House Podcast, where you can find home, health, and family all in one place. Our team is comprised of moms from different upbringings and backgrounds. We each have different giftings and passions representing individual rooms, and together we are the Whole House. So grab a cup of coffee and join us for the Whole House Podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to Positive Adoption, part of my room in the Whole House. I've been doing a series on the five B's affected by trauma. And if you missed the first four, because this is number five, you can go back in the backlist and find them. And I highly recommend that you do. And you can also go to thewholehouse.org and go to our printable resource sections and, and download your free infographic on how trauma affects kids. So let's get started. Since this podcast is only 15 minutes long, it will I will keep it short. And we are on the fifth B. So the five Bs are the brain, biology, body, beliefs, and behavior. So we are on behavior today. And behavior is the one that I get the most questions about. And I'm sure that if you are in the world of foster care or adoption, so do you. It's, it's usually all about the behavior. But when it's all about the behavior, we forget to look to where the behavior comes from or why the behavior is or what sort of need is behind that behavior. And I totally understand there are certain social standards of behavior that we are supposed to meet out in public and in the school system and maybe your homeschool co-op and those sorts of things. And it can make it really difficult when your child cannot behave or can't regulate. So I can understand why parents think about that first. I mean, I often thought about that first. And I would think when I was going out the door to go somewhere is, How are my kids going to react or respond or what are they going to do? How are they going to behave? And you know those last minute lectures in the car right before you jump out where you say things like, now you need to make sure you do this and don't do this and and do this and be respectful and be polite. And those lectures hardly ever work because lectures just don't work with kids from hard places. They don't tend to work much in general unless it's just a conversation that you're having with a kid who is very self-regulated and very in control of his emotions and those sorts of things. So what we see is an altered ability to self-regulate in response to stressors. And stressors can be anything. It could be just getting out of the car. It could be getting into the car. It could be going somewhere. It could be sitting down at the dinner table to eat. It could be having to transition into something. Maybe they were playing a video game and you asked them to stop. Or you have to go to a birthday party. And even though it's fun and it's good fun, those things stress a child who has had trauma the same way a negative stressor does. So this can this behavior can manifest as impulsiveness, self-destructive behavior, aggressive behavior, excessive compliance, sleep disturbances, eating disorders, substance abuse, reenactment of their traumatic past, or pathological self-soothing behaviors. 
So because children from hard places have an altered ability to self-regulate in response to stressors, what we see on the outward and in public and at home are these behaviors. Sometimes, like I had just said, sometimes they're excessive compliance and sometimes the opposite end of the spectrum where it's excessive defiance. And often these behaviors are just a sign that this child feels out of control. Maybe their situation before they came home to you, in air quotes, was completely, completely out of control. And they had no voice. They had no say. They weren't fed regularly. They weren't taken care of, those sorts of things. And so what happens is, just as human nature If our situation, our circumstances are out of control, what are we going to do? We're going to try to control them. We're going to try to make everything better in the best way that we can. And we call this survival mode. So these kiddos will get in survival mode. And although on our side of things, what we see looks bad, we call it bad behavior, it's it's really a coping mechanism of these kids. So how do we change the behavior? How do we get to the root of what's going on? One of the things that we have to do is we have to find out what our kids' triggers are. What are they trying to control and why are they trying to control it? And one of the biggest helps in this area is what we call felt safety. Now, felt safety is different than just safety. For instance, if you are sitting in a room with your family and, you know, maybe you're celebrating your mom's birthday and there's a cake on the table and everyone's having a great time and next thing you know, your child is under the table ranting and raving or wailing and they do not feel safe. What triggered that? We have to, as parents, we have to be detectives and we have to find out what those triggers are. Maybe that child was in a situation where, I mean, from my personal, personal life, I know that when I was really young, whenever a day started out celebratory, it often ended as an angry and bitter and everything went wrong kind of day because my dad was an alcoholic. And so that's kind of the trend. So maybe that child has that. I'm just making up scenarios. I'm not telling you what your child's triggers are. You have to figure those out for yourself. And then you have to arrange the environment to make your child feel safe. And um, my mom got pretty good at this kind of once I hit middle school and she had remarried and she would take each one of us kids out for a date with mom And it was the things that I needed to feel safe were kind of weird. One of the things I remember very, very distinctly was her taking me to lunch. And we were sitting at this counter in this little hometown kind of restaurant. And I knew what I wanted, but I was afraid to say it. So I whispered it to my mom and she ordered it for me. And that made me feel so safe and so secure Now, eventually, I had to begin to order things myself. But in that moment, 
That's what I needed. I was so agitated and anxious because celebratory moments often turned to chaos. And so that was a trigger for me. So those are some of the things that you, one of the things that you can do is find out where your kids' triggers are. And the second thing that you can do is create felt safety. It can be as simple as maybe your child needs a nightlight or maybe he needs the hall light on or um, maybe he doesn't feel safe in large crowds unless you are next to him or, you know, there. There's just a multitude of things, and you'll have to figure out those things on your own. And I highly recommend that you keep track of these in a journal or on your phone in your notes somewhere so that you can look back and so that you can also see the progress. Because in these situations, when we're trying to help our kids regulate, because that's really what we're trying to do, we're trying to help them regulate by making them feel safe and secure and meeting their needs And when we're dealing with these sorts of things and they're dealing with these sorts of things, you're going to see what I call pinpricks of light. It's not going to be one miraculous day where all of their fears are gone and they can regulate and everything's great forever. You're going to see pinpricks of light. You know, think of taking a piece of black construction paper I don't know if you did this in art class, but this was like one of my favorite things to do. And maybe you take you take this little thing and you poke holes in the construction paper to make maybe a constellation or another picture. And then you hold it up to the light and you see those pen pricks of light come in. And that's what it'll be like. It's not a linear road. You're going to see these pinpricks here and there, and you need to celebrate them. You need to acknowledge them. You need to praise your child and say, you know, great job sleeping all night with a nightlight on. You know, great job enjoying that birthday party. And maybe those kinds of things sound ridiculous to you, but why don't you just take a moment, put yourself in your child's shoes, Put yourself in their situation and think, and maybe you just need to think, well, when I was a child and I was struggling with feeling safe or security or knowing what was going to happen next or feeling loved, this is what I needed. I needed an adult to do this for me or say this to me or wrap their arm around me or tell me that I was doing a great job. I think as adults, and it's very common, I do the same thing. I'm definitely not playing the blame game. We get so busy with the things that we have to do every day. You know, the waking the kids up, the getting them ready, the doing school, the making the meals, the making the beds, the doing the laundry, that we forget that these kids are humans. We don't really forget on the baseline level, but we forget And the feeling and security and, you know, what's your problem kind of thing. You should feel okay. You have all your needs met. We forget in that way. And when we take a moment and review our past, because all of us have had some sort of relational trauma in our life, and think about what we needed at that moment, then we're better equipped to meet our kids where they are. And it's not always just about you misbehaved, you did this wrong. Certainly we have to correct those things. And there's a great infographic on the whole house of instead of tips to help you with that. 
So instead of traditional parenting, these are some things that you can do instead. So that's also on our printable resources. It's a free infographic you can download. And I'm sure that I will do a podcast series on that as well. But so behavior, maybe today the first thing that you can do is just start watching for those triggers and keeping track of them some way, not to your child. Don't point them out to your child, especially if your child is, you know, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. You know, don't point them out. Now, when the kid becomes teen, a teen, then you can begin to have those conversations with them. Not when they're in meltdown mode, not when they think it's the end of the world, but when they're calm or you take them out for coffee or hot chocolate or whatever. You know, one of the things that my teens and I used to do once a week was we would go out for um, tea or coffee and just have a conversation, usually about a book we were reading, but that conversation would lead to other topics because books are great starters for that. Because you can have a conversation about a character that is not your child, but they will begin to process, well, wait, I feel that way about that too, and I'm not sure why. And those are great conversation starters. But when your kids are teens, that's when you can start to help them figure out what are their bo- the, the best coping mechanisms for them. And I suggest that you t- take that time aside from your busy life and invest in that. And I'm going to finish up for today because I don't want to go over the 15-minute mark. So thanks for joining me today on Positive Adoption, and I will see you next week. Bye. We're so glad you could join us on the Whole House Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. Follow us on our Facebook page and on Instagram at the underscore whole underscore house. You can also follow us on thewholehouse.org by email to receive our newsletter and keep up to date on things happening at the Whole House.